0: listening to the sermon podcast of Brockport First Baptist. We are a progressive American Baptist congregation located about 20 minutes outside of Rochester, New York. To learn more about our church and support our ministries, please visit brockportfirstbaptist.org. The scripture reading this morning is from the book of Romans, chapter 7 verses 1 through 13. I'll be reading from the New Revised Standard Version. Do you not know, brothers and sisters, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only during that person's lifetime? Thus, a married woman is bound by the law to her husband as long as he lives. But if her husband dies, she is discharged from the law concerning the husband. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive, But if her husband dies, she is free from that law. And if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. In the same way, my friends, you have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead in order that we may bear fruit for God. While we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are discharged from the law, dead to that which held us captive, so that we are slaves not under the old written code, but new in the new life of the Spirit. What then should we say? The law is is sin? By no means. Yet, if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin... Seizing an opportunity in the commandment produced in me all kinds of covetousness. Apart from the law, sin lies dead. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin revived, and I died. And the very commandment that promised life proved to be death for me. For sin, seizing an opportunity in the commandment, deceived me, and through it killed me. So the law is holy. And the commandment is holy and just and good. Did what is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin working death in me through what is good in order that sin might be shown to be sin and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. The word of the Lord.
1: Is my mic too loud? Like, am I, like, blasting you guys out, or is this good? Okay, it sounds really loud to me. So I guess we're good. We're good. Awesome. Um, Thanks for that reading, Jim. I should say I feel really guilty not wearing this right now while you guys are all wearing it, but, like, multiple people have told me not to preach with this thing on my face, and I am far enough away from you, I guess, but I just, I need to share my guilt, and uh, I still love you guys, so that's all I got to say. That's going back on as soon as I say amen, by the way. Uh, Hopefully you've been able to follow along with our services online throughout the shutdown. Uh, If not, that is totally okay. We're in the midst of a teaching series through the Book of Romans. Uh, We started this series the week after Easter, if you can remember back that far. Um, But Romans is a really big book. We're not even halfway through this book yet. Um, So if you haven't been following along, that is fine. You haven't missed much in the grand scheme of things. And one of the things we've been doing throughout this series um, to kind of get more out of it, is I've been encouraging everybody to read the book of Romans with us. Uh, We've broken this book up into sections to make it a bit more manageable, focusing on taking one section at a time and reading it over and over again. We already covered the first section of Romans, which was chapters one to four. Uh, If you missed that, you can read it on your own sometime. It only takes like 15, 20 minutes. We're not talking a lot of content here. And that would get you caught up with our current section, which is chapters five to eight. What we're doing this is I'm encouraging everyone to read each section over and over again throughout the week as we work through it here uh, together in person. Uh, you could read a chapter a night, and then when you hit the end of chapter eight, go back and restart with chapter five. That would work. You could sit down for like 20 minutes once a week and just read through the entire section. That's a good habit, ritual, rhythm to get into. Anything like that to really get the most out of this series would be my recommendation. For the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about sin. Chapters 5 to 8 of Romans is basically like this mini treatment of the topic of salvation, uh, what it looks like to live the Christian life, and we're right in the middle of this section where Paul, the author of Romans, is talking about our freedom from sin. I feel like I should say it like sin, like intense. Um, But uh, basically the idea is we are no longer stuck in the way of sin. We're no longer following the path of Adam, which leads to sin and death, but the path of Christ, which leads to resurrection and life. That's been the theme of these last few weeks. And in chapter 7, which we're going to be looking at today and next week, Paul's giving us a little window into how sin works. How sin infiltrates our lives, distorts our lives. Paul even gets kind of personal in this section and talks about his own wrestling with sin. Now, like straight up, I know sin is not a super popular topic in our society. It's not something you discuss in polite company. You're at a party, you meet someone new, you don't lead off with. So how do you understand sin? Any favorites? Like, no, we would never do that. Uh, it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be uh, prudent to do that. We don't talk about sin in our culture, and that's largely because a lot of jerk Christians, I don't know if I should say that, kind of use sin as a weapon. Use sin to beat up on people and exclude other people. Basically, that's when we talk about everyone else's sin but our own, which is super Christ-like, by the way but I think that's why we're a little weary of talking about sin. Luckily, though, that's not what's happening here in Romans 7. Paul is not talking about someone else's sin in this passage or using sin as a weapon. Paul's talking about our sin. He's talking about his sin. And the need as Christians to know a thing or two about how sin works so that we can root out sin in our own lives and live free of sin's domination. Because remember, we talked about this last week, but when Paul's talking about sin, he's not just talking about like bad things we do. It's not like you screw up, you mess up. That's a sin. Paul is envisioning sin as a power, a force, a destructive force in our society that is seeking to enslave us and dominate us. And as Christians, if we're going to be free of sin's domination, we need to know a thing or two about how sin works. Does that make sense? Are we like tracking so far and caught up? Excellent. I'll take your muffled as as a yes. <clears throat> I want to read through this passage again, at least the beginning, just so it's like really fresh. Paul starts out with this terrible metaphor about marriage, but we'll talk about that. Um, let's read it though. Uh, Romans seven, starting in verse one. Words should be up there. <clears throat> Do you not know, brothers and sisters? For I am speaking to those who know the law that the law is binding on a person only during that person's lifetime. Thus, a married woman is bound by the law to her husband as long as he lives. Yay, patriarchy. Uh, But if her husband dies, she is discharged from the law concerning the husband. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive, but if her husband dies, she is free from that law, and if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. In the same way, my friends, this is where Paul is now explaining this metaphor. You have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. While we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are discharged from the law, dead to that which held us captive. So that we are slaves, not under the old written code, but in the new life of the Spirit. This is a bit of an awkward metaphor to use. For one, it is super patriarchal. Like, Paul talks about women belonging to their husbands. We've evolved beyond that view of marriage, thankfully. We no longer think of women as, like, property that are transferred in marriage. That is a good thing. That's a good uh, advancement. This is a 2,000-year-old text, though, so I think we can give Paul a a little grace here, a little slack. And more importantly, if you, like, dig into the particulars of this metaphor, it is kind of clunky. It doesn't work quite as smoothly with what came before. Paul just got done talking about how, as Christians, we are dead to sin. We have died with Christ, so sin can no longer enslave us. That was Romans 6, which we talked about last week. We've died to sin. So now he gives this metaphor of a woman whose husband dies, which sets her free from the law of marriage. There's kind of a little flip-flopping of the analogy happening there. But basically, the idea here, Paul is pivoting from sin to the law to show that since we're dead to sin, since we have died with Christ, we no longer need the law. We don't have to follow Torah to be right with God because the law doesn't apply to dead people. Does, does that make sense? That's, that's how Paul is using this analogy of marriage and death. Of course, comparing marriage and death might make sense for some of us. <laughs> Not me at all. I'm very happily married, but a little too close to home, maybe. Anyway, sorry. Focus. Big picture. Paul's saying we, have de- we are dead to sin, and so we no longer need the law. That's the point. But Paul immediately starts to backtrack here, like as soon as that metaphor comes out of his mouth, as soon as he like writes it down, he starts walking it back, because he's talking to Christians, many of whom are Jewish. And it sounds like he's comparing the Jewish law with sin, which would be a big problem. So let's keep going. Paul's clarification in verse 7. What then should we say that the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin, I would not have known what it is to covet, if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity in the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness, but apart from the law, sin lies dead. I don't know about you, but for me, this part is super relatable. Paul's talking about the relationship between sin and the law and how the law can actually like magnify sin or highlight it. As soon as there's a rule or a command not to do something, we like instantly want to do it. Any parents in here or like people who've been around young children, I know you've seen this in action. You tell your kid not to do something, like don't climb the bookshelf, don't hit your brother, don't open the fridge, and like magic, they like do it, Right? Like, if, if, if I want something broken in my house, all I have to do is tell my son not to break it. Five minutes later, broken. It's magic. Here's another example. If I say to everyone in here right now, whatever you do, don't think about pink elephants. What are you thinking about right now? Pink elephants, right, exactly. Exactly you see how it works. That's how sin works. That's how sin is able to infiltrate even something good like the law and distort it. Paul doesn't think the law is bad. Paul never once tells Jewish Christians not to follow the law. He tells Gentile Christians not to follow the law because it's not for them, But Paul never says the law is evil or that Jews shouldn't follow it. And that's because the law is actually a good thing. There's wisdom in the law. If you keep the law, it can lead to a better, more peaceful, more God honoring life. It just can't save you. The law won't get you where you ultimately need to go. And in fact, sin is crafty enough to use something like the law to enslave you. This is where Paul starts to get personal. We'll read again uh, back at verse 9. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. And the very commandment that promised life proved death to me. For sin... Seizing an opportunity in the commandment deceived me, and through it killed me. So the law is holy, and the commandment is holy and just and good. Did what is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin working death in me through what is good, in order that sin may be shown to be sin, and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. Paul knows firsthand, How something good like the law can be twisted and turned to evil. If you've ever heard Paul's story, or if you've been following along through this series, you know that Paul used to be a Pharisee. This guy was a religious zealot. He worked for the holiness police, and his job was to go to all the local houses of worship, rounding up people who weren't doing it right and putting them in prison, including Christians. When we first meet Paul in the book of Acts, he's overseeing the stoning of Stephen, the first martyr. That's Paul. Paul loved the law. He was zealous for the law. He dedicated his life to the law out of love for God, but that didn't stop sin from twisting the law to do evil. Using a good thing like the law to turn Paul into a violent persecutor of religious minorities. And this is where I really think this passage gets real for us. How many of us have ever seen religious devotion twisted to terrible ends? How many of us have seen someone who takes their faith seriously, they read the Bible, they love God, they love Jesus... How many of us have seen that good faith radicalized or even weaponized? Where this religious fervor and zeal gets turned toward unholy ends, condemning others, hurting others, elevating ourselves over others, even in extreme cases, violence. Sin can use anything, even something good like the law. And it's not even just about religion. Uh, Take something like patriotism as an example. Patriotism is a good thing. It's a virtue. It's good to love your country, to be proud of your country. I root for the USA in the Olympics every four years. But man, in the wrong hands, in the hands of like an authoritarian or a, a leader who wants to advance themselves at all costs, patriotism can be used for all sorts of evil. It can devolve into nationalism, xenophobia, genocide, fear of the other. In World War II Germany, um, people have actually studied what the factors were that led to Hitler's rise to power. One of the really interesting things is that in the 1930s and 1940s in Germany, most people weren't Nazis. Most Germans were not on board with the Nazi party. They were a minority party. But they all loved their country. They were patriots. They didn't question authority, and the Third Reich was able to use that to absolutely terrible ends. That good thing, patriotism. Social justice would be another example. Uh, social justice is something we take seriously here at Brockport First Baptist. The Bible teaches it. Uh, we work toward it here in Brockport. But man, in the wrong hands, social justice can be used toward all sorts of violence and evil. That's what often happens with violent revolutions around the world. We've seen it here in the U.S. when a protest, a peaceful protest for a good cause, devolves into violence. When you take the oppressed, the marginalized, and arm them, and encourage them to liberate themselves through violence, justice turns to injustice super quick. That's sin taking a good thing and using it to do evil. This is all really big stuff. Let's get closer to earth. I've seen people who love their families and who want to provide and care for their families. I've seen folks in that position stay in an unhealthy work environment for too long. Overworking, not resting, coming home exhausted and angry, taking the frustration and anger from an an unhealthy work environment home with them and taking it out on their families. I've seen the desire to support and care for one's family end up tearing that family apart. That's sin, taking something good and using it to do evil. It's one of the sneakiest ways sin works in our lives, and Paul knew it all too well. And the way to deal with this, the way to get at this and stop sin from perverting the good stuff in our lives is to make sure that the good things, these gifts from God, are put in their proper Place located firmly beneath our devotion to Christ. Religious devotion is a good thing. Pray every day. Read your Bibles. Pursue holiness. Take your faith seriously. Just don't let it become an idol. Don't let adherence to good doctrine or right living turn you into a jerk. Don't let your religious fervor surpass Jesus' command to love your neighbor. Love your country. Be a patriot. Just don't root for the patriots. if you can, a Football. Football joke. Yes. Amen. <clears throat> Sorry. Be a patriot. Pursue social justice. Participate in our democracy. Just don't let it become your God. Don't let working for justice or loving your country distract you from your first love, which is Christ. Even when we're talking about family, relationships, careers, all those good things, all that God-given stuff, it's good. But man, if you cling to it too hard, you will lose it. You want to serve your family? You want to be the best spouse, the best partner, the best parent, whatever? Follow God. Pursue a life that looks more and more like Christ. And that will empower you to love your family in a way that goes beyond anything else you could ever do for them. Because you have died to the law. You no longer need the law because you are dead to the law and alive in Christ. Let's pray. God, thank you for every gift and every blessing you've given us. Thank you for these good things in our lives, Lord. Help us to cherish them and appreciate them, but to keep them in their proper place in our lives. Make us wise to sin's dominating ways. Don't let sin gain a foothold in our lives by distorting what is good, but God, help us to remain dead to sin and alive in Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed what you heard, please
0: be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. You can connect with us on Facebook at Brockport First Baptist, on Twitter at BrockportFB, and on our website, BrockportFirstBaptist.org. Our theme music was composed by Scott Holmes. This has been a production of Brockport First Baptist.